Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Well, good morning to the program today. We have been talking about civil discourse breaking down in the country today. And to intro the show today is our co-host, Russ. We, we've been really trying to figure out, okay, how, how do we talk to one another? When do we talk to each other? When do we not engage in um, disagreement and, and really discussions and even sometimes arguments? And so today we're trying to figure out how do we navigate those waters and try to be very specific, especially with when, within um, our Christian circles, that when we have disagreements, and, and we around this table have disagreements about different beliefs, about and we all come from the same general perspective, and we still disagree about some of the particulars. So the question is, when do we choose to engage in those, and when do we don't? refuse to. And so is this a, basically what we want to ask is, is this an essential doctrine, a non-essential doctrine? And if we don't ask those questions, then our response can be out of proportion to the issue at hand. And so let's talk about it. Yeah. What makes an essential doctrine essential and a non-essential doctrine non-essential? And I just want to give the little caveat to say non-essential does not mean it's not important, especially to the person that holds the positions on a particular issue. So we're not saying there are some things that are important, there are some things that are not important. We're talking about degrees. Yep. So And the object, right? If I were to say, so for instance, if I were to say baptism is uh, not essential, you guys couldn't agree or disagree with that statement because I haven't given you enough information. Baptism is not essential for my salvation, but it is essential in order for me to obey Jesus since Jesus said, be oh, baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we always have to ask the question, essential to what, when we're talking about this issue of essential and non-essential doctrines? Mm-hmm. I think one of, the, one of the helpful things here is a knowledge of church history. And uh, w- what are the doctrines of the church that have either been under threat and, or what have, what have been... What have been the doctrines that are central and have been considered essential over time, uh, over the whole sweep of the history of the church? Uh, In other words, what I'm saying is we're not on our own to try to figure out what the essentials are. Uh, We've got the the ancient uh, creeds of the early church. We've got the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. Um, Those of us in the Reformed tradition, we've got the great uh, confessional statements of uh, the Reformation era um, that help us define what the essentials are. So I I guess I would just want to plead historical context and grounding that we're not on our own as modern Christians to dream up a list of essentials. Yeah, the the old saying, in the essentials, unity, and in the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. And the problem does occur was 
many of us regard uh, a great deal of things as essential. Some people uh, come with one thought and they might say that, uh, you know, they have no other creed but Christ, and but they don't really define that. What is what does the Bible say about Christ? That would be mm-hmm. essential. Um, not simply just saying that's, you know, I don't have other statements. I just only have Christ. Well, they really haven't got to the heart of of what is essential. But it, at the same time, yesterday, um, Russ was talking about that Eighth Commandment, um, you know, applying the Eighth Commandment, not bearing false witness against our neighbor, you know, loving our, you know, lo- lo- loving God and loving our, our neighbor. Um you know, and we we should be really careful. You know, Luther said we should fear and love God so that we don't tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. And then he goes, you know, so we understand that even Christians of goodwill differ from one another, and we're told to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the way we do it is— we try to explain everything in the kindest way. You know, we we we're patient with one another. We're we're we use it every opportunity as a teaching moment of instruction rather as a, rather than trying to own somebody. You know, well, right. this is what we do on Facebook. We try to own them. Oh man, we really own that guy. You know, we we put him down with this uh, meme or this tweet or something. All we're doing is in a sense preaching to our own choir rather than actually right. uh, engaging. Right. For me, what becomes essential is anything that touches the person and work of any of the three persons of the triune God. Mm-hmm. So those are essential doctrines. Um, this is the framing of the Apostles' Creed, really all mm-hmm. of the historic creeds, in some way touch on the person and work of either the, the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. To me, those are essential doctrines that we need to um, keep essential because what we believe about God then will affect everything else that we believe. Um, and especially if you talk about the work of the triune God, then you're talking about all of these salvation-related concerns and issues. So the person and the work of, of each of the members of the triune God. Mm-hmm. Real quick on that issue of, I, I talked about at the beginning, essential to what, asking the question, essential to what? So if we were talking about the sovereignty of God, we love that doctrine, the sovereignty of God. And if I'm talking to a new believer and they're not quite there on the sovereignty of God yet, they don't understand the implications of it, uh, is that doctrine essential that they believe? Well, not for their salvation, but it is essential to the Christian faith. And if we as Christian ministers give up on that doctrine, we're giving up the farm. Mm-hmm. But it might not be essential at that moment. Yes. Um, in time in that child of God's life. Um, so there are things that we forget that we didn't always maybe hold to certain truths and beliefs and, and ideas that we grew into. We, yeah. we developed over time. We had the ability to, to study God's Word and see it, the interconnectedness of, of these different places of, of the Scripture. And so what sometimes happened is that Sometimes those that have been in the faith longer come across younger believers and want them to be at the same place they are right? Um, on every particular belief or doctrine. Yeah. And so they don't allow for, um, and really what they don't, what they're confessing is they don't believe in sanctification. Right. 
they don't believe sanctification is a process. They right. think it has to be instantaneous, even though it wasn't for them. Yeah, it mm-hmm. has to be for everybody else that comes after them. Well, that's very ungracious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speak, speak the truth in love, and then trust in the power of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Where where we often become uncivil is when we have a disagreement or someone isn't seeing something the way we see it, and we begin to get a little angry about it. And we think we begin to think, well, if I just say it louder, I'll be more persuasive. <laughs> and you know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And uh, there's a time to we and, and some you know, sometimes, as we've said earlier, and maybe, maybe perhaps it was the previous show, uh, a time to be silent. There's also a time to speak the word, speak it clearly and with love, and then let the word and then trust the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And allow a person, give a person room to grow. Yeah, you know, um, talking about getting irritated with somebody as we disagree with them. Paul has that great line in Philippians where he says, I'm persuaded of these things. And if you're not there yet, then the Lord will also give you yes. insight at one exactly. point. But there's a, at our church, we make this distinction between people and propositions. Like a person is not his ideas and the ideas are not that person. So yes. if I have Sam in front of me and Sam doesn't hold to the same view of predestination that I do, well, I have to realize that his idea is not Sam. His proposition is not his person. So how does holding that distinction between a person on the one hand and a proposition on the other help us to interact with those who disagree with us? I think first and foremost, then, when you're having that conversation, you are not going to attack them as a person. Um, What you're going to do is continually come back to the, the belief that he or she is is advocating. And so you talk about their ideas, you talk about their principles, you talk about their argumentation. The implications with, of those things. Yeah, without making it personal. It's not yeah. personal. And so I'll just say this to, to people in conversation. This isn't personal to me. We disagree on, and it might be a belief of education, or it might be a belief in, in politics, or it might be a belief in, in the church. And I can just freely say, this isn't, I don't personally have something against you, but I do disagree from your, with your working premises. So let's talk, let's have a conversation about our disagreements and it's not personal. Do you think our culture has wrongly blended those things so close together to now to disagree with somebody is to disagree with their person and, and hate their person and to make it personal. Yes. Oh yeah. For sure. And, and there's, there's always a temptation when we have a, I mean, let's face it, when we have a disagreement, um, and <clears throat> I, I always, I, well, I always have a tendency, I have a very human tendency to think I'm right, and I have a very human tendency to think that if, if somebody else doesn't see it my way, it's because they're slow on the uptake, or they're just being obstinate, or that's temptation to sin, brothers. Uh, and anger, one of the places where anger comes in, and it's not helpful at all. Remember, James says the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Um, is when somebody disagrees with me, and I begin to get angry because I want to use anger to control them. Well, that's not love. Love does not demand its own way, First Corinthians thirteen, and um, that's that's when I'm. That I'm edging over into sin, even if I may be right. Um, I, I might be doctrinally pure and correct and trying to force it on somebody in a, in a sinful and controlling way, um, in an angry way that 
A, a it's not going to work, and B, it doesn't honor Christ. Well, and oftentimes in those type of moments, when we start to make it personal, then we begin to um, assign motive. Yes. We, we, we misconstrue intentions. Um, and so when we make it something other than about the, the issue and we make it personal, then we take it another step and, and we begin to, to unduly assign things that we'd have no idea about. Right. I'm not even always convinced of my own motives mm-hmm. right. and my own intentions. I'm, I'm not always clear if I know all of these, what's driving what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. How in the world am I going to figure out what the intention of somebody else is? Yeah. Yeah. And so then it, 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 it then begins to escalate when we take it away from the issue and make it about the other person. Yes. Um, and it just quickly will become very unhealthy. Um, and so we just need to be careful. And it's hard to do because most of us place our identity in the wrong place. Yes. And so mm-hmm. we place our identity in our beliefs or in our ideas or in our right. convictions well, our, our, that's not where our identity is. And so that's why all these conversations end up being personal because we have made it that way for our own hearts. And the other person often does it the, that as well, that the idea is a part of them. Well, yeah. it's not. Right. Um, that's not where our identity is found. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we just heard that at the conference here a, f- mm-hmm. a few weeks ago about how our identity is to be in Christ. And uh, therefore, if, if somebody else disagrees with us, we should be desirous to know what the truth is. We should be able to say, okay, I, you know, maybe I got this wrong, and, and this speaks to your earlier point, Phil, about humility. Um, if somebody disagrees with us, that actually gives us an opportunity to either have our views corrected or to bear patiently with those who disagree. I think that one of the things that we have to remember is what Paul says in, in Corinthians. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. He didn't come with... He didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom, and this was the practice of the world then, you know, which was a a kind of verbal bullying using force and personality and witty asides and cutting disdain and all this demagoguery to beat the listeners into uh, their position, Um, and they also did it for the applause of, of men. Well, Paul does it completely different. Paul doesn't use those rhetorical strategies. In fact, when we use the rhetorical strategies of the world, what we're doing is really adopting the world's viewpoint on things and saying we have to win with that power. Right. But but the but the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow on The Gospel for Life. 